Welcome to Young Adults. My name's Jared, and I'm really excited to be here with you all tonight. Guys, I have the opportunity of kicking off uh, our new series, The Secret to a Good Life. Everyone wants to have a good life, and that might mean something different for each person in this room, but I really believe that God has something good for you. Uh, And what I really want to talk about tonight is the baggage and the weights that keep us from being at Uh, this good life. So we're going to be in Luke 18 and 19. If you have your Bible, if not, uh, it'll always be on uh, the screens. You can go to the Bible app. It's a great place for it. Um, But I want to tell you about a time that I was weighed down. Um, In September of this last year, uh, my wife went to go be with her sister who was getting ready to have a baby and then was with uh, her as she had the child. And uh, my wife went out there alone. And then uh, I took myself and my uh, three boys uh, with me. I almost said four. I don't have four kids. I have three, but it felt like four. I took my three boys with me on an airplane uh, from St. Louis to Charlotte. Um, and guys, I can't tell you how stressed I was. There's a picture of me at the airport um, with my three boys. And I know what you're thinking. Like, Thatch was, I think, almost five there. Uh, Jet, who's in the stroller, is, uh, I think he just turned three. And then Riggs is one. And, and Riggs was kind of at the spot where he uh, could kind of walk. Uh, so he was like, either needed to be carried or put in the stroller. And I don't know what you're thinking. Like, that, that toddler, that three-year-old that was in the stroller, like, does he need to be in the stroller? Well, Jet does this fun thing, and he Praise the Lord, he doesn't do it as much anymore. And I say it tonight, he's probably at home doing it to my wife right now. But he did this thing where if he didn't get his way, and he always made the same, way, same noise before he did it, he'd go, whoa. And then he would say, my legs aren't working. And it's funny until you're in an airport and you're trying to get through baggage claim and figure out where your stuff is, and you've got one kid that can't walk, one kid that won't walk, and it's miserable. So we just put... The three-year-old in the stroller, called it good, carried the other one. But I had like this immense stress of trying to get where I needed to go. I was just, my, my wife kept asking me, she's like, what are you afraid is going to happen? I was like, I don't know. I'm just, af- I'm just like nervous. Like, I don't think I deal with anxiety much, but I was like just nervous something was going to happen. One of them was just going to disappear and end up on another plane and we'd get a call. And I, I, I was just worried. Um, but I, this is what I carried with me. I want you guys to, to look at it. I carried this backpack. This is like the, the one we use for our diaper bag. And I put it on my bag. This was the one that was like your personal item. If you have, just a little tip, if you have uh, a, a child who doesn't take up a seat, you get to take a, um, a diaper bag. So carried that with me. Carried with me uh, this. This was our carry-on. Um, did there. And then we had this, this big guy uh, that we used as our uh, checked bag. So I'm walking through the airport, which normally like checked these and we were fine. But like when we got them, I had this, Thatch was pushing this and riding it half the time. I'm, I'm pushing this and I figured out a way that you could strap it to the stroller to get it to move a little bit. But if Jet got up, it fell over. So I was dealing with that situation. And then I had the backpack on me. And, and I, I was just so stressed from like the moment I got to the airport to the moment that I like got in the car in Charlotte where my wife was. And I just, I had this like weight about me. I had this stress that like as soon as we got to the car, I could feel it like kind of wash off me. I was just so stressed. I wasn't necessarily stressed about losing a bag, maybe losing a child, but I, I was just stressed, and I don't even know what it was. I, I want to contend with you all tonight that we probably have an idea of what the good life means, whether that's like peace and joy, quiet, and things are just kind of 
calm for you. Maybe your upbringing was not that of peace and quiet. So that is your idea of what the good life looks like. Maybe for you, you're like a driven person and the idea of peace and quiet and is like, man, I, I wanna drive to something. I wanna achieve. I wanna do something big. I want something big to happen in my life. I want my life to mean something. I wanna establish a legacy for myself and for my family. And for some of you, it might just mean I just wanna have good relationships. What is that for you? What would you say is the good life? Because what I wanna contend with tonight is whatever your perception of it is, God has a greater intention for you. God does have a good life plan for you. John 10.10 says that he has life and life abundant for you. It's a good thing. But I would argue that there are things that we hang on to that make it practically difficult for us to be in the good life. I brought up baggage, okay? Luggage. And I think it's easy to carry something around And maybe it's small. Maybe it's something that's just there on your backpack. It's not that heavy. I don't know what's in here. I had my wife bring it up, and it's it's soft. I'm assuming it's diapers, but it's not heavy. But there's something in there. And maybe you're carrying something that it's not that big of a deal, but you carry it. Maybe there's some some broken relationships in your past. Maybe it's not even a broken relationship. Maybe it's the idea of a missed relationship. Maybe you're pushing 30 and you're not quite where you want to be yet in your career, in your love life, in your relationship status, and that feels like baggage, right? Maybe your baggage is a little heavier. Maybe your baggage looks like pain. Maybe you had a friend that was so close and did something so hurtful and harmful, you can't believe it. And you've said that you've forgiven them, but when it comes down to it, this is still in your possession. Maybe the baggage that you claim is a little bit bigger. Maybe you were abused. Maybe the the pain that you brought to someone is so big and feels so large, you couldn't ever think about just leaving this somewhere. Maybe you have tried to lay down your addiction at an altar that looks like this so many times, and then late one night, this big heavy bag shows back up, and you don't know how to get rid of it. And you've prayed, and you've tried to keep accountable, and you've done so many things, but it feels like you can't stretch and reach the good life while you're hanging on to so much stuff. Maybe it's not even in the negative. Maybe it's in the positive. Maybe you're hanging on to something that's not that big of a deal. Maybe you're just driven. Maybe you have a pursuit. Maybe you have a desire. And, and honestly, where we, when we talk about baggage, we talk, you think about it and you're like, oh man, that's heavy stuff. I don't want to talk about that. That's not fun. Maybe the things that like, you hang on to that you can fixate on, maybe you're that driven person, those are good things. You're finishing school. You're, you're working a, a job right now to, to step the ladder to get to the next one. You're in your master's program. You're in your doctoral program. You are doing something big. You are working really, really hard right now. But if you're honest, if you're not careful, it can feel like carrying weights. Now, Logan brought weights up one time, and they weren't nearly as dusty as mine are. I don't know what the deal is with that. This is what we drive our vehicles into in the garage, so uh, they haven't been picked up and used in a little bit. So just thought I'd be honest. 
But you have, you have some good things that you want to do, and maybe you voice those things to the people around you. Maybe you said, hey, I want to achieve this by the time I'm 30. I want to be here by the time I'm 40. I want to have this amount in, saved in the bank. And sometimes they're good things. I want to serve God this way, and I have a vision and a dream from God. And if you're not careful, it feels like you are just holding a weight. Because then it's a responsibility. And sometimes if you get your motivation in the wrong spot, man, it feels a little heavy. And sometimes it really does. It can make the change from a good motivation. Man, I'm happy to carry this weight. I know it makes me stronger. To we end up just ending up putting it in a backpack. And it ends up being part of our baggage because it's something that was lost. It's something that we never got to achieve. We didn't get accepted into our dream school. The girl broke off the relationship. I want to contend with you tonight that there are things that hold us back and, and you look at your life and you say, what can I do? What can I practically do? I've tried all the Christian things. I've written it on a note and thrown it into a fire. I've done whatever it takes and I don't know how to get rid of these things. There are two instances in the Bible that I want to look at tonight and it's Jesus and he's talking to some people. And when he's talking to people, they have a similar root problem. In Luke 18, Jesus talks to a person that the heading on my Bible says that he's the rich young ruler. And then in the next chapter in Luke 19, it says that he talks to a man named Zacchaeus. And you may have heard some of these stories before, but they have some of the same root problems. They know something is amiss. They know something's wrong. They know that there's something else out there, but they're both rich people. And while we're talking about finances tonight, it might not be about finances for you. For them, they were good at what they did. They were driven. They went out and did it. But at a certain point, they had to look at what was in their hands and say, is it worth it? So look at, at Luke 18. That's where we're going to start tonight with the rich, young ruler. In Luke 18, 18 and 19, it says, And a ruler asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And, and that's a good question. I feel like we're in the Bible Belt. A lot of people want to know, like, how do I have eternal life? And Jesus talks about how to have eternal life. So the question in and of itself is not a bad thing. And, and Jesus answered it in a weird way that, like, I, don't, I, I read this a lot, and I didn't understand it for a while. That he says, good teacher, like he's honorable towards him. He says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus is such a ninja with his words. Like he does so many weird things that you're like, hey, can you, can you look me in the eye and answer my, my question with not a question? Because it seems like that's what Jesus is constantly doing. But he's communicating something. The guy asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one's good except God alone. And there's a lot there because he's not just like being self-deprecating and being like, oh, not me. No, 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 no. Straight up to God, praises to be to him. It's not about me. It's about the Lord. Like that, that's not what Jesus was doing. He was correcting him in a kind way because he said, hey, I realize, Jesus, that you are good, but he did not address him as God. And the first thing I think that we do is that we see Jesus as a fix to our stuff. God, I see how my addiction's not gonna help me. 
I see how I don't know how to live life without a broken relationship in my wake. And Jesus, it seems like you fix that kind of stuff. So good teacher, what do I have to do to get rid of this? And we're not going to go into the depths of this yet, but he starts off the question that he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Even in his question, he's saying, all right, I have got a lot of stuff. I've got a lot figured out. Things are going well for me. What can I add to make my life a little bit better, Jesus? And Jesus looks at him and is like, you're asking the wrong question. You're making it about what you can do. You're making it about your actions. When you read Romans 6.23, it says it's not, it's not what you're able to do. It's not on your works. It's on the grace. It's gift of God. So when he says, hey, what, what can I do? He's trying to add something to it. Hey, what can you do for me? And here's the thing about the rich young ruler. The rich young ruler was probably... Um, Rich, probably in charge of some people, ruler. He wasn't like a yardstick. Anybody? Okay, never mind. We'll get past it. Um, He was a rich young ruler. Like he was in charge of some stuff. So he was probably used to being able to show up and be the guy in charge. And he was probably used to being able to show up and seeing something that he wanted and saying, what must I do to get that thing that I want? He was used to being able to barter and trade and figure out, I have a lot of means and you have something that I want. Can I trade some of my means for what you have? And he, he addresses the question with Jesus all wrong. It's transactional. And listen to what Jesus responds with in the next verse in 20 and 21. He says, you know the commandments. Don't commit adultery, don't murder, don't steal, don't bear false witness, honor your father and mother. And it, it, it's almost like he cuts them off. Like, I don't know, and I'm, not, I'm probably reading into that, but he says, and he said, all these things I've kept from my youth. He's showing up with his stuff, showing up with his weight, saying, Jesus, I'm pretty good. I don't know if you know me, but like, I'm rich, I'm young, I'm a ruler. And like, when you start saying the rules, like, I've done it all, I've got it figured out, I've kept it all, not just like when I matured and figured it out, like, I was a good baby. I was really good. The ones that are crying, never did it. The ones that disobeyed their mom, that wasn't me. And, and Jesus meets this guy, and it, it, there's not this attitude of like, Jesus, I need you. There's like, hey, what can you do for me? I hear that you're offering people eternal life. I would like that. Can I have it? And listen to Jesus' response in verse 22. And Jesus heard this man, and he said to him, one thing you still lack. Sell all that you have and distribute to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. And that last line is so important, and come follow me. Is the standard of following Jesus poverty? Is the standard of following Jesus selling all your possessions, giving to the poor, and coming and following following Jesus? I would say the answer is, for the most part, no. What the answer is, is obedience and lordship of Jesus over your life. He does ask that earlier in Luke 12. 
Luke 12, 32 and 34, it's gonna be on the screen. It says, fear not, little flock. This is Jesus talking. For it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom, the good life, the things that you could never imagine. And then he says, sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure that is in the heavens that does not fail. There are no, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. And listen to this promise. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Jesus was not talking to this guy and looking at the stuff that he had and said, I could really use that for my ministry. Man, if I could have what that guy's offering, my ministry could go to the next level. We could get some more horses. I could probably employ a couple more disciples. So if you sell what you have and give to the poor, like it's going to help me out. Jesus did not need his stuff. What Jesus wanted was to be the treasure of this man's heart. He wanted to sit on the throne of his heart. And the guy sitting there going, I- I've got a good amount of stuff on the throne of my heart. I don't really need anything else to sit there. No, thank you. And listen to his response to Jesus. He meets Jesus in the flesh, and Jesus has an offer to him. Hey, come and follow me, and look at his response. It's so sad. And when he heard these things, he became very sad because he was extremely rich. How many of us are missing Jesus? Because we don't want to let go of anything. How many of us are looking at Jesus' offer to say, hey, follow me. There's treasures that you can't imagine. There's so much that I have planned for you that's so good that you don't even know. Give me the good. Give me the bad. I want it all. I want to be the Lord of your life. I want to give you, you can't even imagine. And we look at it and we go, I kind of like it. Because if we're honest, even the bad stuff, the addiction, we go, I'm going to make it really hard for me to get to this addiction again. That's going to be tough to get to until we really want it again. And we miss out, not just on the good teacher, but on our good creator, on the God who loves us in a way that I don't even think we will fathom when we get to heaven, that we'll just sit in awe of him forever. There might be other stuff to do, but when you get there, Jesus, God will be sitting on his throne. All the stuff that we're going to go, why did I care? Because our creator, not just a good teacher, and we end up wanting to make this little trade. So I want to compare and contrast that to another story of a rich man that we see in the next chapter. This is in Luke 19. And you may have heard the story of Zacchaeus before, and you may have heard a song about Zacchaeus, that he wasn't a very tall guy. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to let loose on that, uh, give you a free pass on um, hearing me song, sing a song about a short guy, Zacchaeus. But uh, Zacchaeus, we're, we're going to learn a couple things about him in the first couple verses. Uh, in, in Luke 19, 1 and 2, it says, he entered Jericho and was passing through. This is Jesus. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. Now, that, there's a lot packed into those phrases that he was probably a Jewish person uh, employed by the Roman government to collect taxes from the Jewish people. 
because the Romans would collect taxes from them, but they wanted someone that was their own to kind of go and do it. And the way that they would work is they, they would tell these tax collectors, hey, as long as we get what we're asking from each person, you take whatever you want. So if the tax was 15%, Zacchaeus would come in and say, I'll ask you for 25 and I'll keep the 10%. Like what they're communicating with that short phrase of he was the chief tax collector was that he couldn't have been more of an outcast with his own people. He couldn't have been more of a thief. He couldn't have been more of a traitor. He was probably an outcast socially. Imagine there's somebody that steals from your grandmother and you're like, no, I'm not, I don't want to see you again. Imagine he shows up to the temple where you worship and you're like, the thief? No, 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 you can sit in the back or you can leave. And, and, and culturally, I mean, he, he wasn't what Jewish people should have been. There were Jewish laws that had to do with taxes that were done correctly and being honorable in the way that you deal with people and money and he wasn't it. So he was an outcast. Like he didn't have a whole lot going on friendship wise most likely. And he was, it said he was the chief tax collector. So he was the worst one. And then it says he was rich. That is what all of that deception, all of that thievery, all of that being an outcast got him. He had a ton of money. He had it all figured out as far as anything that anybody could want, but I just want you to read what's next in Luke 19.3. And he was seeking to see who Jesus was. But on account of the crowd, he could not because he was small in stature. So um, a a couple things there. That is, Jesus would have been walking through either the city or into the gates of the city, and people probably would have heard what Jesus was doing around Israel around where he lived that man he's he's going and healing people he's giving these sermons that like he's taking the law and saying things about it that that nobody's ever heard before so people would have like word of mouth would have gotten hey Jesus is walking down and he's got his 12 disciples like, people would have just filled the spaces so Zacchaeus was trying to go see him and it said the crowd wouldn't let him so yes he was short but he also couldn't just kind of stand in the back he had to kind of try to muscle his way to the front and it says that the crowd didn't allow him to because he had short stature and I think some of the things that we bring with us sometimes are short stature a nature thing that we you can't help some of your biology you can't help some of the things that you didn't choose Zacchaeus didn't choose to be short he just was and then He also carried some baggage with him because he had broken some relationships, he had stolen, he had done some things that all the baggage that he was bringing was external and internal. He had this tension both with himself as, man, I'm not all I'm cracked up to be, and man, I have screwed up some relationships and I don't know what to do about it. And now it's playing out when he tries to come and see Jesus. So what does he do in verse four and five? So he ran on ahead. So the crowd's here on both sides of the road. So he goes up ahead and he climbs up into a sycamore tree to see him, to see Jesus. For Jesus was about to pass by that way. And when Jesus came to that place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down for I must stay at your house today. And verse six and seven, so he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all grumbled. And he's gone into the guest of a, and it's a quote, it says, he's gone into, in, into be the guest of a man who is a sinner. So what's going on? 
Jesus is passing by and he's walking and I'm sure he's doing miracles and teaching and doing some different things. And when he sees Zacchaeus up in a tree, he doesn't just go, oh, that's weird, that short dude climbed a tree. He sees Zacchaeus and he knows what's going on in his heart and his life. He knows that like he, he's done some stuff, that he has some regret, and he has some ways that he looks at who he is as a person and says, I hate that I don't fit what everybody else thinks I should be. And he sees that. Do you know Jesus sees you? Like, whatever, whatever's in these two camps for you, Jesus is not looking at you going, oh, please don't open that up. Oh, that, that's probably really ugly. That probably gets worse. Oh, please don't. I don't think, Jesus sees you and he engages with you. Guys, it is so easy to spot somebody with baggage, right? You see the way people talk to each other, you see the way people are around their friends and you're like, man, I'm gonna do my best to either one, not talk to that person at all or never bring up whatever that I think is in this suitcase because it's messy and I don't want to be the person that's there when it's opened. But Jesus sees him and he engages him and he invites him. He says, I'm coming to your house today. And that phrase would have meant like, I want to come in, into your home and enjoy a meal with you. Now that, that is, means a lot in our culture to invite someone into your home and eat with them. But in their culture, it would have been an endorsement. It would have been, this is the person that I'm accepting. This is the person I'm going to choose to love. And it came out where the other people grumbled. They were upset at that fact. They were mad. They did not like that Jesus went and did that. Jesus loves the people that we grumble at. Did you know that? The people that I get sick of and tired of and man, how could they be this way? I can't believe that they, Jesus goes, yeah, you can come with me. I love you. I endorse you. I, I wish you could know how much I love you. That he goes and he has a meal with him and, and there's, a, there's a quick turn from seven to eight and we don't need to know what the meal looks like and I wish we did and I think it would probably be really, really cool but I think one of the things that's such a blessing of why we don't get to do that is because I think that we would start seeing it as the formula. We would start seeing it as the answer. We would start seeing it like the rich young ruler did where we would say, Okay, God, can you just tell me what I gotta do to get eternal life? Because it works for Zacchaeus. We'll get there, and I wanna talk about that in just a minute. But Zacchaeus has this crazy life change, and I think that there's this mystery there because life change happens at the foot of Jesus. Romans 2, 4 talks about how he is so good. And it talks about, did you not know that his kindness leads us to repentance? What is repentance? Repentance is you are walking in a direction. It's a military term. You are walking into a direction and you repent. You turn and you run in the other direction. Jesus did not meet him and say, all right, glad I finally got you, Zacchaeus. I got a good list of things that you've done. And I'm going to rake you over the coals and make you feel every single one of those because those are each people that I love that you harmed. So you know what? I'm going to, it's his kindness that leads us to repentance. And I think sometimes as Christians, we look at God's word and we go, this is truth. 
So I get to act however I want when I'm holding truth. Jesus didn't act that way. Ephesians 4 talks about how we build into each other and we grow up in truth and in love. It is both. It is both the nature of Jesus to be loving, to be kind, to see the person, to see their experience in life and love them, but also share the truth with them. I just, I just want to ask the believers that are in the, in the room, the people that will call themselves Christians, which one of these stories are you most like? Was your life changed because you spent time with your creator, with Jesus, and your life changed? Or was your life different because you looked at the equation and said, Jesus, what must I do to inherit eternal life? I need to pray a prayer, deal, done. Can you handle this stuff when you got a minute? Look at what happens next in the life of Zacchaeus. He doesn't just lay things down. That's not just, it's almost unbelievable. Luke 19, 8 and 9, he says, And Zacchaeus stood, and he said, said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, notice the difference between the rich young ruler and Zacchaeus in the way that they address Jesus. Lord, king of my life, sits on the throne, the one who's in charge, and good teacher. Behold, he says, Lord, half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I've defrauded, if, if I've defrauded anything, I restore it fourfold. If I stole 10 bucks from you, you're getting back 40. Half of my wealth goes to the poor. Here's the thing, the math does not add up. And it's kind of funny. He has such an experience with Jesus. His heart is so changed by the person and the work of Jesus that he stands up and says, if I've done anything wrong, I want to give it back 400% over and I want to give half of my wealth to the poor. He's either going to fail at that, he's either going to go bankrupt or he's going to go into debt. One of those things are going to happen. But sometimes wisdom just goes out the window when we meet Jesus. Now it's not foolishness. But his life was so changed that he said, I'll do whatever it takes. He didn't just come in and say, I'm going to try to do this today. He came in and said, God, I don't need any of this stuff. I need you. The difference between the rich young ruler and Zacchaeus is the rich young ruler wanted something he could add to his life. Zacchaeus said, I've tried everything and nothing's working. I need something else. And Jesus said, that's the person. And then he answers him. Look at the end of verse 9. He said, today salvation has come to this house. Since he also is a son of Abraham. Now, that's not just a random sentence that was thrown in there. That means that he is a full, completed Jewish person. What in the world does that mean? That means that God has favor with Zacchaeus. That means that when God sits in heaven and looks at Zacchaeus, he says, you're one of my children. Not because he figured out the formula, but because he sat at the feet of Jesus and said, I don't have anything else to offer you. So whatever I have is, is yours, it's gone, it's not mine anymore, I don't know what else to do if I could just have you.
Is that what your Christianity looks like? Or are you trying to work a formula? I was so encouraged this week. Um, somebody showed it to me. I didn't follow her, but the girl that's on our team uh, it comes to young adults. She's an intern now. Shout out the Institute. But she posted on social media, and she posted some pictures, and some of them were around church, and some of them were with her friend. Her name's Ashley, and she posted, and she said, if you would have asked me six months ago if I was interested in having a relationship with Jesus, I would have thought you were talking to the wrong person. But she talks about how her life changed, and I love the analogy that she used. She said, it was like I was watching TV in black and white, and I realized what it looked like in color. I don't think we realize how heavy the weights that we are carrying around are. And we end up walking through life with a lot of stuff and a lot of baggage, and some of it's good, but we don't realize how good it is to set things down at the feet of Jesus. Zacchaeus had this attitude of desperation. He didn't have anywhere else to go. Jesus finishes that phrase in Luke 19.10. He says, the son of man, Jesus himself, came to seek and to save the lost. The people that didn't have a place. The people that have tried it all and said, I don't know what else to do. The people that looked at their life and said, Jesus, following you is worth letting go of everything. Does that mean selling everything that you have? Maybe I don't know what God's asking for for you. I don't know what sits on the throne, what occupies your heart. But Jesus talked about how where your treasure is, that your heart will be also. In 2011, um, I had the opportunity to go on a mission trip to West Africa, and it was one of the coolest things that I've, I've ever gotten to do. Um, and this is like, I mean, it's, it's, it's wild. It's the bush, it's uh, desert, it's, it's crazy. You drive for 13 hours. We were in Senegal, and you drive around a country called the Ghana, and um, you drive around it for 13 hours, and it's just desert and poverty all throughout. And you would see sections of like towns near roads, but for the most part, it was these round huts with kind of these wooden and thatch roofs over them. In, in, they were kind of clusters. They were spread out maybe over the course of like 10 or 15 acres where they were near each other. And then you would have a mango tree and you'd have maybe two or three huts around that. And that was like your town and then your, your family. You know, you would have a husband and wife that would have a son and that he would stay near them until he got married and then maybe he would go to the next mango tree and that would be his. And you kind of had these cultures where that was what, would, what, what, what happened there. And one of the coolest things was we were told like, hey, you're going to be going, and it's really cool, like the way that they share Christ with people, they, they don't really have much of a written language, so they told us like, hey, know some Bible stories and you're going to share them. So we would go, we just walk up to people, because you were from a different culture, they'd go, Hey, nice to meet you. Can you tell me a story? Yeah, I'd love to tell you a story about a person named Jesus. So we told stories over and over, and we would tell a story, and they'd go, they, the translator would kind of ask them if they had any questions, and then you'd see them go like this, and they'd go, they want to hear it again. And you'd share the 20-minute-long story one more time. And it was kind of fun, but uh, it made me learn these two stories in the Bible that I learned before I went on the trip really, really well. 
Um, but one of the things that we went and did was we went and visited this group of believers. And what was really cool about this group of believers was you see all these huts, two or three huts next to a mango tree. And then you walk up to this one grouping of huts and there's like six of them around this massive mango tree. And it was kind of interesting to try to figure out like, what, why is there so many around this one? And what they communicated was that there was a group of believers there. There were two people that got saved, gave their hearts and lives to Christ, and it was a husband and a wife. And they, they're in like a, a, they call it a folk Muslim culture. It's like not mainline, mainline Muslim, but it's kind of this Islamic kind of out far reaches. That they don't follow all the same things, but it takes some things from other religions and kind of put it all together. And the, the reality of their situation is if someone were to follow Christ, they're kicked out of their home, they're threatened, the chances are they will lose their job, they could lose their income, they could lose a lot of different things. So what was happening was this man and his wife had become Christians, and there were groups of women, there were, there were several women that had become believers. And I, I remember listening through a translator to a woman who said, my husband was saying that if I became a Christian, if I said yes to Jesus, he was kicking me out with all my kids. He wasn't gonna help me. If I came back, he would try to kill me. So she went and found this man and his wife that were believers and they made a hut for her. So you had all these huts of these women who were kicked out of their homes by their husbands because they chose to follow Jesus. You also saw, I, there, there, were, there was a little boy and he had special needs. And because he had special needs, he was basically set out to die. That they didn't value his life at all. And this couple heard about this little boy so they drove to the town, which is not cheap to drive. They drove to this town and they said, is anyone gonna care for this little boy? And they. No one claimed him. Not even his own mother would claim him. So they brought him to their camp, brought him to their home. So you had this collection of people that are trying to love Jesus, trying to do everything that they can. And I remember we, we would go and we would visit people and then at night we would come together and they would sit around a campfire and they would sing songs together. And, and there were mixes of songs that they knew from their culture that they had put songs about lyrics about Jesus too and they would also sing songs that we knew from our culture that they would kind of transcribe into their language and I remember the one of the first nights we were there hearing this familiar thing that I grew up in church but I don't think I understood what it meant until I was there I heard this refrain I heard the melody but the words were different I heard what I knew as, I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back, no turning back. Though none go with me, I still will follow. Though none go with me, I still will follow. The cross before me, the world behind, I still will follow, I still will follow. I have decided to follow Jesus. And I, I remember, I was 20 years old and I remember thinking, am I really following Jesus or am I just saying, what do I have to do to inherit eternal life? 
do I have everything that I hold on to? And am I saying, Jesus, this is all yours? And I remember in those moments just saying, God, if I've not surrendered everything before now, it's all yours. Whatever my life looks like, whatever my obedience looks like, I want my whole life to honor you the same way, the same God as the, that loves these people so much loves me. Even though I grew up in church and I didn't get it for so long, would you say the same? Have you decided to follow Jesus? One of the pieces that I skipped over that like as I was reading this right before I came up earlier today, when Jesus sees Zacchaeus in the tree, he says, hurry, come now. And he hurries out of the tree. Jesus had a slow ministry, can I tell you? Jesus spent slow time with people. Jesus was interrupted as much as anybody. But when it came to Zacchaeus, when he saw someone who was trying to fulfill their life with everything else, he says, hurry, don't stay in it any longer than you have to. God is calling you tonight to follow him with everything that you have, and I'm asking you, hurry. You don't know how long you have. And the, the phrasing is simple. God, will you sit on the throne of my heart? I know I had other stuff, but I want you and only you. It's not a formula, it's not an equation, it's where your heart sits, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Is that where your treasure is? Is it in the kingdom of God? Or is it in something else? Will you bow your heads?